are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. We can imagine that the disciples of Jesus had watched as he would slip away to a quiet place to pray, returning back to them centered and focused, regardless of how much pressure he'd faced from the crowds or the Pharisees or whoever else had been around him that day. They saw that, and they wanted to share in it. Jesus' answer, of course, is what we now call the Lord's Prayer, Though here in Luke, it's a different form from what we find in Matthew, and a whole different setting. The familiar form for the prayer, the one we use each Sunday here and in our daily evening prayer online, is Matthew's version. And in Matthew's Gospel, it is taught to the crowds in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Here, this somewhat shorter version is taught privately to the disciples. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. I mean, there's, there's no question the two forms are related, even if this version in Luke is considerably shorter. So how do you resolve that? Well, one way is to say that Jesus taught the prayer twice. Once to the crowds, fairly early in his ministry, and then considerably later, and in this simpler form, to his disciples. It's quite an acceptable way to think about it. But it may be that we're also witnessing here how things can get shifted and sifted around in an oral tradition before being written down. Luke was not a disciple, but rather he was someone who joined the Jesus movement considerably later, probably in the 50s, in the context of his connection to St. Paul, which we see in the book of Acts. Meanwhile, the the teaching that Luke is reflecting on is from the early 30s, so 20 years difference. While his project of organizing both his gospel and the book of Acts happens in around the year 70. So 30 the events happen, 50 Luke joins the movement, 70 he writes it all down. And he pulls on elements from the oral tradition as well as a copy of the Gospel according to Mark. It's quite clear Matthew and Luke had Mark in hand. So they did have a really solid outline to work with, but they also had all of this other material that they'd inherited, some written, some just in story form. Now, make no mistake, the oral tradition was incredibly reliable in a largely oral culture. But there was also a fluidity to it, 
such that two versions of the same prayer might well have been preserved. What would matter to Luke with his shorter version and to Matthew with his longer, and frankly, what is important to the work of the Holy Spirit, was that the heart of what Jesus taught, who he was and is, was shared. So, Luke offers us the basic outlines of Jesus' prayer. But then he has it fleshed out by what follows. A marvelously odd little parable of God and prayer. Suppose, Jesus says, one of you has a friend. And you go to the friend at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For another friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Now this is a picture that would have made a good deal of sense in the ancient Near East. Because there existed in that world, and still exists, very strong standards around hospitality. If a friend was to arrive at your door in the middle of the night, in need of of welcome and a meal, you would need to offer it to them. That was just convention, and is convention still in that part of the world. And if you don't happen to have food to offer because you neglected to get your grocery shopping done that day, better go into high gear, track some down. So, it's a very realistic picture. And that man, let's call him Arthur. Arthur goes to his friend's home in the dark, knocks on the door and asks for some supplies to share. Not a chance, Arthur. My whole family is bedded down for the night. I'm not about to get up and give you anything. But as Jesus tells the story, Arthur perseveres. And, quote, at least because of his persistence, the haggard friend gets up staggers around the kitchen, putting together everything Arthur might need to make some sandwiches, and all is resolved. At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him, give Arthur, whatever he needs. And this is a little parable of prayer, which is odd, because the man who's in bed is clearly the stand-in for God. But then again, Jesus isn't shy about using odd characters in his parables to make his point. In this case, his point seems to be, just keep praying. Or as N.T. Wright puts it, quote, Jesus is encouraging a kind of holy boldness a sharp knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's what our prayer should be like. Now, of course, the parable is summed up then with a bit of teaching. It's best summarized with the closing lines from our reading tonight. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
Then again, we all know people who've prayed, perhaps prayed relentlessly for the life of a dying child or for relief from some rough physical condition or maybe for a friend who's begun to drink too much or whatever. God never seems to quite get out of bed to answer that prayer. You know that roaring silence? Have you ever prayed like that for something or someone? It just seems to be met by nothing? Over the centuries, many have tried to make sense of why some prayers seem to go unanswered. Here I offer the insight of Jan van Ruysbroek from the 14th century who wrote specifically about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer invites a turning of all things of the self into the freedom of the will of God. There's something in van Ruysbroek's insight here. The praying can reorient us from the needs of the self towards the freedom of the will of God. And on my best days, I can certainly wrap my life right around that truth. Yet there's another way to think about this, articulated brilliantly by Robert Ferrer Capon in his book, The Parables of Grace. He writes on this parable tonight and on the comments that follow it. Everyone who asks receives, Jesus says. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Taken literally as a program for conning God into catering to the needs of our lives, this is pure bunk. Too many sincere, persistent prayers have simply gone unfulfilled but taken as a command constantly to bring our deaths to his death, to find resurrection in his, it is solid gold. That, Capon says, that in the last analysis is why we pray. Not to get some reasonable small bore job done but to celebrate the job beyond all liking and happening that has already been done for us and in us by Jesus. We have a friend in our death. In the end, he meets us nowhere else. Prayer is the flogging of the only dead horse actually able to rise. Now, you might be tempted to respond, but Father Capon, what does that mean? To which Capon might have replied, Listen, this is what we know. Jesus lived, he was executed on a cross, and he was resurrected. Along the way, he said to Martha on the day that he went to her brother Lazarus's grave, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Which is another way of saying that even with all the messes and losses and hurts of this life, in the end we will be met by Jesus in our very deaths. On the way there, 
There will be praying to be done, plenty of it. For Von Reisbruck, our prayer is understood as a turning of all things of the self into the freedom of the will of God, which Capon calls the flogging of the only dead horse actually able to rise. They're actually on the same track, you see, just using rather different language to get there. Here's the other thing. In God's oftentimes incomprehensible way, there will always be these moments when our uttered prayers will be very clearly, vividly, and even miraculously responded to. I know that to be the case. I know it from some people here. I know it from stories of other friends along the way. And I know it personally in my own walk. Why sometimes and not others? Why sometimes is there that clear, vivid response and others that roaring silence? Well, I'll never know this side of my own death. What I do know is that whether or not I experience my own prayers to have been answered in the way that I'd like, I'm confident that they are always heard. And I'm equally confident that in the fullness of time, I will be able to rest in that, fully at home with my risen Lord. In the meantime, just keep knocking. Get that grumpy friend up at midnight. Because that grumpy friend happens to be our God. That's not a bad thing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.